Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Rob Dalrymple, and it's wonderful to see you this morning. Uh, today we are indeed talking about the person of Jesus Christ in uh, full uh, detail, full glory. Jesus prayed at his last night on earth. And he said, Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. Amen. We have seen uh, the last few weeks uh, that uh, Jesus is sending the disciples out. And we've been discussing for the last few weeks that we are called to be on mission. We are God's people Chosen for a reason, chosen for a purpose, so that we may declare what? The excellence. Yeah, yeah we got to do it again this week, don't we? Uh, so we may declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called for a mission. But Jesus says, okay, Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. And then 2,000 years later, we kind of haven't done really well at that one, because there's about... 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 denominations of the church. And we begin to wonder, well, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, the reality is, is we are called to be people who follow Jesus and proclaim Jesus to the nations. And we have an opponent who does not want us to fulfill our task. So the question this morning, in, in, in part, is going to be, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it, what does it look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and, and who is Jesus? And... Our answer is going to be simple. Our answer is going to be, well, all, all we do is simply go to the Scriptures. What, what does the Bible say? But the reality is, is that everybody says, well, we all believe what the Bible says. And so how do we know that we have the right belief about what the Bible says compared to what somebody else says what the Bible says? And one of the ways that I would answer that question is this, is first off, it takes time and studying of the Scriptures and we do diligence to the text and faithfulness to the text. But at the same time, we also say this, Jesus sent his spirit to his church. And for the last 2,000 years, the church has had a unified voice on who Jesus Christ is. So this morning, we're going to uh, read a portion of the Westminster Confession of Faith together. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith was written in 1646. And if you're not aware, that the, the church had a, had a split around 100 years before this. The Catholics, Protestants, and Orthodox had kind of split their ways. We hold to a Protestant tradition, and the Westminster Confession of Faith got together father, in London and said, what is it that we believe about the person of Jesus Christ? Uh, and really, and when we read this together, some of you might be aware of the Nicene Creed that we've said from time to time, and you're going to hear elements of the Nicene Creed. And the point of that is, is that who Jesus is, is the essential question of all human history. To simply go and say, well, we believe in the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible. Well, that's great, but everybody does that. So we have to say, okay, well, what does the Bible really say about Jesus? And then we also say, what has the church been saying for 2,000 years? And so let's look at this particular portion of the, of, of the Westminster Confession of Faith together. And we're going to say it together. And then I'll walk us through it briefly here without doing a whole sermon on it. Um, and you know I want to. Um, uh, I'll walk us through briefly what this is ultimately saying. But let's say it together as it comes on the screen. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature 
with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. And if you saw elements of the Nicene Creed in there, let me walk us briefly through, this, through what I'm saying here, and that's this. We affirm, as Christian tradition has affirmed for 2,000 years, that God exists as a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Mysteriously, three persons, yet one God. One of those three persons, namely the Son, became a man, Jesus Christ. In other words, the biblical story is real simple, and that is, and it's beautiful, and that is, we made a mess, and God entered our mess for us. And God entered our mess as the second person, God the Son, becoming the man, Jesus Christ. And it says here, he became with all the essential properties and common infirmities of being a human, so that the two Whole, perfect, and distinct natures, God and man, are both present in Jesus Christ. Jesus is both mysteriously God and human at the same time. Um, and the result of that is, uh, he's very God and very man, yet he's one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. All right, very briefly here, we've sang Jesus Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word that means the anointed one. The Greek version of that word is Christ. It means the anointed one, and it means that Jesus is indeed the king. So this is who we worship. This is who we follow. God himself who's entered our story. We're going to see now in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is going to ask the disciples the question, who do you say that I am? And in my opinion, it is the one question that all humanity has to answer. Who do you say I am? If you have your Bibles, turn them open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start in verse 7 this morning um, to kind of get us going. It's page 733 in your pew Bibles. The question is, who do you say that I am? Luke chapter 9 verse 7 is where we're going to start this morning. It says this, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him being Jesus. Herod the Tetrarch is actually one of Herod's sons. Uh, he takes over uh, control of the northern part of Galilee after Herod the Great's death. Um, and Herod the Tetrarch had a problem. And his problem was John the Baptist. You see, Herod, all the Herods wanted themselves to be accepted as a Jewish king. To be received by the Jewish people as being a Jewish king. Well, that meant you have to follow the Jewish laws. And Herod hadn't been doing a very good job of them. Herod had married his brother's wife. Well, that's a problem because that man, his brother's wife was divorced and then he then married her. And that, if you think that's a problem, by the way, his brother's wife was actually his daughter. So it gets a, it, we won't go any further. You can see the problems. So John the Baptist, before the ministry of Jesus, had been going around the region and had been preaching against what Herod was doing. So Herod orders John the Baptist to come forward and has, him, has his head chopped off. 
And then Jesus goes around and begins preaching, and Herod's like, okay, well, great. Well, who is this guy then? Who then is this that I hear such things about? Now, I don't think Herod actually wanted to know the answer to the question. I think Herod was asking the question, who is this guy? He's a problem. But I think when he was confronted with the answer, he's like, I don't want anything to do with this guy. Luke chapter 7, if you want to go back a couple pages, let's go backward here. Luke chapter 7, I'm going to look at verse 17. Jesus has just done some miracles after his teaching in Luke 6. And it says this, News about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord. This is John the Baptist. This is before he had his head chopped off. And he sent his disciples to, to Jesus to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the, two, when the men came back to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? We discussed this for those of you that were with us about a month or so ago. But John the Baptist, if anybody knows who Jesus is, it's John the Baptist. In the Gospel of Luke, we hear the story in chapter 1 of, of Mary uh, 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 coming to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist. Mary has just been impregnated by the Holy Spirit with, with Jesus. She comes to visit, uh, uh, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the Baptist in the womb. And when Mary enters the room, John the Baptist leaps in the womb. He knows before Elizabeth knows who's at the door, but Elizabeth doesn't even know. John the Baptist is sleeping in the womb. Later on, according to the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he's told by God that the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, the, the Anointed One is the one that when you baptize him, the Spirit will descend upon him and remain upon him. Be like nobody else. So John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up. The Holy Spirit descends on him and remains on him. And John the Baptist turns to Peter and James and Andrew and the disciples of John the Baptist who later become the disciples of Jesus. He turns to them and says, That's the guy. He's the one. And now, two months later, six months later, John the Baptist is in prison because Herod wants to chop his head off. And John the Baptist begins to go, are you the one? If anybody knows who it is, it's John the Baptist. And yet he begins to question. Are you the one? Chapter 7, verse 49. Jesus does a miracle, and then he forgives a man's sins. Verse 49 says, The other guests began to say among themselves, Who then is this who even forgives sins? They're grappling with this question. Who is this guy? Herod the Great, or Herod the Tetrarch says, who is it? Is he John the Baptist? I killed him. Who is this guy? John the Baptist says, are you the one? The people in the city turn around and go, wait a minute. This guy even forgives sins. Look at chapter 8 now. Look, Luke chapter 8, verse 25. Luke chapter 8, verse 25. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Even the disciples are grappling with, wait a minute, he calms the storms, but, but God's the one who calms the storms. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So now let's go to Luke chapter 9 again. So here in Luke chapter 9, now Jesus is beginning to prepare his disciples for the march to Jerusalem. Uh, in chapter 9 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is already heading to Jerusalem to die, which means if we were to date the events in chapter 9, we're probably about nine months from 
the crucifixion of Jesus. So even though we're only nine chapters in, we're probably near the end of his ministry. And as Jesus now, up in the north, is going to start heading to Jerusalem to die, he's preparing the disciples now, you have not understood a whole lot of things. Because your concept of a Messiah is not what I've been about. That's why John the Baptist was questioning. I'm not who you think you are. I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. But here's what you need to know. When we get to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen. And I've got to prepare you for these things. Because when I die, you're going to carry out the ministry. and you got to understand. All right. Question number one. Preparation, class one, class 101. Here we go. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Well, they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Obviously, that's what Herod was thinking. Others say you're Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Okay? So various thoughts and theories about who Jesus is are out there. One of them was that you're John the Baptist. That doesn't seem to make sense. That was probably Herod. Still others say you're Elijah. And here's the reason why some say there's Elijah. In the Old Testament, and I'll bring it up on the screen, in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the book of Malachi, it talks about the coming of the Lord, that God's going to come, the Messiah's going to come. And Malachi chapter 4 says this. It says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah to you before that great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So before the Messiah comes, Elijah must come. So you can't be Messiah, Jesus, if we haven't seen Elijah yet. So some are thinking you're Elijah, the one who comes before the Messiah. Uh, Others think maybe you're one of the prophets. So what's going on? Now, by the way, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus answers this question about Elijah for his disciples, and let me bring it up on the screen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, it says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet... Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. Excuse me, and violent men have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. So I know you think that I can't be the Messiah because Elijah hasn't come. Let me explain to you, John the Baptist was Elijah. Now, not in a reincarnation sense, by the way. The Jews didn't believe in reincarnation. It was a foreign concept to them. Would never, they would never have thought about it in, in this sense. But Elijah, by the way, in the Old Testament law, in the Old Testament, Elijah is basically the first prophet. Technically, he's not, but in the Jewish world, I mean, Moses was a prophet. All right. But in the Jewish world, Elijah is the first prophet. All right. He's the forerunner. He's the one who paves the way. David will come after Elijah So therefore, John the Baptist comes, and Jesus comes after John the Baptist. Now, this passage is a little bit confusing. Let me explain it briefly. John the Baptist, Jesus says, there has not been anyone greater born of women than John the Baptist. But anybody after John the Baptist who enters my kingdom is greater than he. Well, how can that be? Simply put, here's the thing. Jesus is bringing the kingdom. John the Baptist is before Jesus. He paves the way for Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, now you are experiencing the kingdom of God in a way John the Baptist never did, and anyone before John the Baptist never experienced it. The essence of the kingdom of God is going to be God among us. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's where God's the king and he dwells among us. 
and in Jesus we have God among us. And John the Baptist didn't really get to experience that because he's before Jesus. So as great as John the Baptist was, anyone who comes after John the Baptist and believes in me is greater than he. But as far as this I can't be the Messiah thing because Elijah hasn't come, John the Baptist fulfills the ministry and power of Elijah. So let's go back to Luke chapter 9 now. So who do the people say I am is question number one. Question number two, Jesus then says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're God's Messiah or the Christ. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone, to tell us to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed. And on the third day, he must be raised to life. Who do you say I am? I say is the greatest question in human history. It is the fundamental question that every single person, I believe, and the, I think the scripture teaches, will be asked when we get to the throne of God on Judgment Day. And the way we answer the question now is the way we answer the question then. There's no changing your answers after you get the test results back. Uh, you guys remember that? Yeah. Uh, we won't discuss anything about how we got through school. All right. There were kids here. Um, uh, all right. The answer to the question is, is determined by us now. Who do you say I am? Now, Peter seems to be, this, by, by the way, is the first indication that any of the disciples have actually figured this out at all. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. That's who you are. Better than what, remember Peter called him earlier, Master, Master. Right? He's, he's getting there. He's progressing. Yeah, I'm, I'm also your Lord. But one step at a time. Now, notice quickly that Jesus begins to immediately clarify what it means to be the Messiah for them, however. Because, you see, in the Jewish world, to be the Messiah means you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to sit on a throne, you're going to rule with power, you're going to get an army around you, and we're going to go out and defeat Rome and anybody who opposes us. Because we're the chosen ones. And Jesus quickly says, look, let me explain what's going to happen. I'm going to go suffer a lot of things. Uh, what? Yeah, uh, I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'll be raised to life. This makes no sense to anybody, except for maybe Jesus, but certainly not to the disciples. Uh, a suffering Messiah is an oxymoron, right? Uh, uh, two, th two things that don't make any sense to at all. Uh, a Messiah is the king, the anointed one. You're anointed by God to be the king of Israel. And if you're the king of Israel, then you rule in power and you defeat your enemies. No, I'm going to die. That, that doesn't make any sense. Jesus warns the disciples, don't tell anybody. <coughs> the reason why he warns the disciples not to tell anybody is, is real simple. The Pharisees are the primary religious group that Jesus comes into conflict with. Because the Pharisees, though they weren't necessarily the massive, largest ruling party, they were the ones that had influence over the people. And as a result, Jesus comes into conflict with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees determined that they had nothing to repent for. They are honorable, noble, righteous people. And Jesus says, if you want to be part of my kingdom, you must repent. And the Pharisees are like, ah, oh, you know, we're not good with this guy. And they became more and more and more opposed to Jesus. Well, the way it works is this. If you are going to be the Messiah, and if we really think you're going to be the Messiah, we're all going to rally around you, 
And we know we're risking everything because we know this means it's going, to be, it's going to mean war with Rome. But if we don't think you're the Messiah, or we don't want you to be the Messiah, or we don't like you to be the Messiah, we're going to go tell Rome on you because we don't want you getting any power. Because if Rome comes in power, we're all in trouble. So because Jesus was opposed by the religious elite who were not going to side with him as being the Messiah, don't go telling anybody that I'm admitting that I am indeed the Messiah. Because if they find out that I'm admitting this, they're going to have me killed before my time. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die in due time, but not now. But not now. All right, let's continue looking very briefly. Luke chapter 9, verse 50, uh, 51. Oops, I just lost it. And I can't go back. James, can you grab it? I can't go back. Sorry. And then I'll take it back from you in a minute. All right. Can you go back a little bit more? Uh, 9.51. Keep going back. back. One more. There you go. That one there. Thanks, James. All right. I'll, I'll take it now. All right. Um, oops, I did it again. Go to 9.51. Here we go. I'll, I'll read it quickly while James has it up. And it says this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Verse 50, 53. He was heading for Jerusalem. This is the key moment in all three of, the, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels. In, in three of the four Gospels, the, the, the climactic moment of, of them is Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And before he heads to Jerusalem to die, he takes the disciples aside. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do this. And he asks them the question, who do you say that I am? Great, I'm the Christ. That's exactly right. Don't tell anybody. Now let's go to Jerusalem where I'm going to suffer and where I'm going to die. So from now on, the next 14 chapters in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to be heading to Jerusalem to die. And we're not in the halfway mark of the Gospels. We're near the end of the Gospels. Now let's go to verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit, lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We're going to look at that passage a little bit more deeply next time, but here we go. Who do you say that I am? Have you, have you asked yourself that question? Wonder, who, who is Jesus? The, the difficulty of, of, of a message like this is, is that we're all in different places hearing, it, hearing different things. And some of you have asked that question, have answered that question for many, many years. Here's what I want to do in the next two and a half hours that I have left. Um, uh, 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 and that's this. I want to make sure that we make it really clear for those of you who have maybe never considered the question, or those of you who are just entering into the church, who, 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 let's make sure, this is, this is hopefully a, a kind of a 101 study on who do you say that I am. All right, and the question I'm going to ask is this, is what makes somebody a Christian? What makes somebody a Christian? And there's going to be dangers on, 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 a, on a number of fronts here in asking ourselves this question, but let me ask ourselves this question, and let me uh, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. 
So here's what I'd say. Number one, a Christian is a person who acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. A Christian, fundamentally and simply, is a person who acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. Now again, this, there can be danger on a number of fronts here. All right? But simply put, a person acknowledges, your Lord, I'm not. Your Lord, Caesar's not. Your Lord, my money is not. Your Lord, my job is not. Your Lord, and my health is not. Your Lord, and no one else or nothing else is. You're the God who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And fortunately, by the way, he's a good Lord. See, it doesn't matter if he's good or bad. If he's Lord, he's Lord. It just so happens he's a good one and a loving one. The second thing I'd say is that a person who says that Jesus, a person that's a Christian is also someone who has repented of their sins. You see, in saying Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge the fact that I haven't always lived that way. And therefore, I'm sorry. They confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. Means I, I acknowledge that you're Lord, but I haven't lived that way, and therefore I, I'm sorry. And the word repentance is the, the Greek word means to change one's mind. Uh, the, the changing one's mind is you're Lord and I'm not. And acknowledging that I have sinned, that I have I have gone astray, I have not done what you want, I've done what I want, and from this point forward, I'm going to endeavor to live in accordance with Jesus as Lord. But let me add a third one here. And I think a lot of us would stop. Uh, That's good. You know, a a person who's a Christian is is someone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and has repented of their sins. And and obviously there's an idea that that the repentance is not just a one-time action. It's a continuous lifestyle, habitual lifestyle. And by the way, the the heart in biblical text is, is the seat of your actions. It's confessing with your mouth. That's the intellect. But it's believing in your heart. It's the seat of our, our, our actions begin to change. But I want to add something that I think we need to consider deeply that I think a lot of us in the church have probably never thought about in terms of, well, this is not a requirement to be a Christian. It's just like a good thing to do. It's, it, it, it's on the positive part of the list, but not a requirement. And that's, number three, I, I would ask, they seek to make Christ known. We've been discussing this for the last two weeks. We've memorized, haven't we? 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And it says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were called and chosen for a purpose. We can go throughout the entirety of scriptures, by the way, I think to support this idea that a Christian is someone who makes Jesus known. Jesus tells the disciples, you're the light of the world. The book of Revelation describes the seven churches as lampstands. This is our task. This is our mission. This is our calling. And and some of us will go, you know, but but I'm an introvert. And and, and here's the difficulty in that sense. I'm not saying, hey, these are three things that if you don't do these things, trust me, you know, judgment day is not, I'm just simply saying, hey, look, this is what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes we don't live up to that, you know, but if on that list of yours has not been included making Jesus known, then make sure we start adding it quickly. Because that's why we're called. And that's why we're chosen. All right, now, very briefly here, the danger of simply saying that becoming a Christian means to confess Jesus as Lord means that you could do it in, 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 in a flash, in a moment, and it never really sinks in. 
I think sometimes we stop and say, being a Christian simply means that you confess Jesus as Lord. And that's true, and, and absolutely, and ultimately, by the way, God's the judge. Not Rob, not any pastor, not any scholar, not any theologian. God is the judge, and by the way, we should all say amen to that, because we don't want anybody else being the judge. All right. But sometimes we make it too simple and minimize it too much, so that if you pray a prayer on one moment, you're forever saved. And that may not really ultimately be true. Because to confess that Jesus is Lord is to believe in your heart. And our actions need to follow. And included in our actions needs to be this mission of what God's people are about, and that is making him known. And by the way, we're making him known whether we think we are or not. The question is, is just what does he look like when we make him known? So if if you've been in the church for 20, 30, 40 years, and you've really never been in the habit of actually sharing your faith and thinking, well, well, Pastor Rob's telling me that I'm condemned. I am not telling you that you're condemned. I'm simply saying that we need to make sure we add this to the list of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we need to be able to start getting out there by His grace, by His Spirit, who empowers us to speak the gospel and start making sure that we are more clear and emphatic about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to the lost. Now, the last fill in the blank here on our outline says that if we believe, I'm going to skip that one, I'm going to skip that one, skip that one, here we go. If we believe that Jesus is Lord, then we will live as if Jesus is Lord. And this is, again, a, a difficult one because, you know, the, the danger, of course, becomes, well, we have to live, we have to live, we have to live, we have to live, and we become works-oriented, and, 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 and I'm doing this to save myself. And, of course, the whole essence of Jesus as Lord means I can't save myself. But if we believe Jesus is Lord, then we're going to live as if Jesus is Lord. And we can't, we've got we to wrestle with this faith versus works and just raw belief and, just, and, and then those who are out there doing all these good deeds but don't really have Jesus. You know, and and we've got to live in some tension. The gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is now preparing in Luke chapter 9 his disciples for their ministry after his death. And as we're going to look at next time, <coughs> he says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross. Because I'm the king, and I'm going to Jerusalem to become the king. But the way I rule, and the way my kingdom works, it's not the way the kings of the world work. I, I'm going to sacrifice myself for the world, and that's what I want you to do too. It's not going to be easy. Anyone who preaches a, a Jesus that says you can be healthy and wealthy and prosperous, and, everything, and all your cares are going to go away. You have all these problems in the world, except Jesus, they're all going to go away. No, they're not. By the way, they're just going to increase. Because included all the problems of the world, now you have the problem of following Jesus and the world doesn't like it all the time. Now, it doesn't mean that he won't take away some of your problems, that he won't provide you comfort and care and assurance and health, and he might even, he might even bring healing that time, and, and he might provide a miracle there, and he might provide angels. Uh, absolutely, not denying that. But it isn't going to get easier. Because if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. So as we finish the Gospel of Luke now, uh, the, the last 14 chapters or so, let's follow Jesus now, who's the Good Shepherd. And I, and I know some of you on the right-hand side can't see the image up, uh, up, up behind me. 
But I just love that image that just reminds me that I, I'm the sheep that's being carried. I don't care which one you guys are. I'm the one that's being carried. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel message. That you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And you display your power, not as the world does. But you do so in sacrificial love. And you offer us, Lord, the hope of life and of life eternal, of life in your kingdom. We've tried living in the kingdoms of this world, and it doesn't work. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning that if anyone has never acknowledged truly in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that right now your spirit will come upon them, and that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that you, raised, that you were raised from the dead. That's it. And now we'll get up and we'll go out by the power of your spirit and try to proclaim your name to the nations. And Lord, for those of us who maybe have been in the church for some time now, five years, 25 years, 50 years or more, it's just good to be reminded that Jesus is Lord is the ultimate essence of the gospel message. Because we still forget it. Sometimes, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month. And we get anxious, and we worry, and we get concerned, and we get fearful. And so it's good to be reminded that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we too, again, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you were raised from the dead. And then we ask, Lord, that you'll help strengthen our witness and our testimony that we might uh, proclaim that gospel to those around us. We thank you for all that you've given to us now. We ask for your mighty mercy and your grace to be with us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.